Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest vox casting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we continue the story of the brewmaster and his apprentice Wesley. In the middle of a competition against Popcorn Turner, the Ten Thunders showed up to recover their stolen property. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of Thunder Fuel Gremlin Fire. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the greatest competition the Bayou has ever seen. Come on out and see Popcorn Turner face off against the Brewmaster in the ultimate test of the distiller's skill. Who will make the better moonshine on the day? Come and judge for yourself. If you can remember being there, you weren't really there. The big pig pulling the brewmaster's wagon chose their road through the bayou. Either because the brewmaster trusted its nose, or because he didn't trust his ability to control it. Regardless, he was confident it would lead them to the Ten Thunders, or the Ten Thunders to them, and one was just as good as the other. Admittedly, the latter seemed more likely, what with the pig's occasional bursts of speed, punctuated by excited snorting that sent the wagon and its contents rattling something awful. Then there was Koopa Jones' jolly banshee-like singing of a rowdy gremlin yodel, her lack of a banjo notwithstanding. In retrospect, Wesley wondered if singing was too generous a word. The din coming from atop the shoulders of the golem was more akin to a drunken wildcat having a heated territorial dispute with a chain-smoking crow, with neither winning. The croaking and yodeling eventually fell off as the pig's path brought them up a shallow rise to firmer ground, and they broke through the twisted swamp undergrowth into a natural clearing. They no longer detected the typical buzz of oversized mosquitoes tracking them, and none of them could shake the feeling that more than the severely arched and grumpy trees were watching them. Tall grasses and drifting fog made for poor visibility, however much their gremlin eyes were accustomed to it. Then, in this perfect place for an ambush, the late afternoon sun made an appearance, pale and unworldly, like it couldn't quite pierce the swamp's unique atmosphere, but could briefly change its color palette. Twisted bark and vines like nooses glowed orange, the ground yellow, and the gremlin crew found themselves illuminated. And not only them. The brief glow peeled back the shadows of the far side of the clearing long enough to reveal half a dozen figures in fearsome Oni masks, Ten Thunders agents. The leanest and most extravagantly dressed took a step forward. A broad-bladed Nagamaki polearm rested on her shoulder. 
the Cadenacker battle standard on her back barely stirred in the thick, still air. Her mask, an inhaler of some kind, hung loosely around her chin by two hoses. Her expression was calm and cold at first. However, after watching the gremlins, hearing the pigs snorting, smelling the sharp vapors from the rickety wagon and golem, her lips snarled to an angry grimace. Momentarily overwhelmed with disgust, she said something quiet but cruel. Urigirimono. Her dark eyes were fixed on the brewmaster. Say what now? shouted Cooper. Everton Thunder's agent glared at her. Wesley shot her a look of concern, too, trying to get her attention. But she was too pleased with herself to notice any of it. You have taken something, Brewmaster. Something that doesn't belong to you, the boss said, pointing her nagamaki. The Ten Thunders do not take kindly to theft or betrayal. Well, ain't she the serious type, Cooper said with a whistle, coming into our swamp and... The Brewmaster held up his hand to quiet her. The Ten Thunders boss and her cadre agents turned to him expectantly, fists tightening on their weapons. But he didn't speak. Instead, he dropped the pig's reins, reached for his staff, rose slowly and back-tapped the side of the wagon seat. Hung there for a moment, searched for the ground with his foot, found it, dropped, let his clothes settle, and finally looked up at the Cadenaca boss. Apologies, he said, with the slightest bow. Do I know y'all? Wesley noticed his slip, but said nothing. She momentarily considered ignoring the banner, only to raise her voice and said, I am Arashi of the Katanaka clan. I am the storm sent to wash away deceivers like you. All blustery winds, you ask me, Cooper Jones muttered. No one did ask you, Cooper, Wesley said quietly. But she went on. Mabel would call you windbag. Ten toots. Ain't silent or deadly. The rashy turned toward the barrel-dressed gremlin like a rotating head on an ice statue. Cooper, Wesley repeated, throwing his hand across his throat and shaking his head rapidly. Weasel, she snapped back. The brewmaster ignored them. Then he ignored the boss and her agents. He turned his back completely, walked to the back of the wagon and rummaged through its contents. Arash's men tensed. They started forward, weapons at the ready, but she signaled for them to hold their ground. After a long moment, the Tri-Chi leader found what he was looking for and reappeared from around the wagon. There's no need to argue. I'm thinking this might help, he said. He approached the agents again, slowly and carefully. Crailed in one arm was a box of glass jars, tinkling almost musically. He stopped several yards from the boss and held it out to her, respectfully bowing again, but never taking his eyes off of her. She raised her nose. What's this? One of my finest batches, Hog's Moon the brewmaster said proudly. Arashi arched an eyebrow, then smiled for the first time, an unsettling smirk. Are you trying to bribe me? The jars jingled again as the brewmaster shook his whole body back and forth. 
No, but for you, I part ways with it, if we leave all this behind us. A murmur rippled through the Ten Thunders crew. Arashi cut them off with a snap of her fingers. You're brewing more than just piss water these days, gremlin. Brewing big trouble, I think, or we wouldn't be here. Is that the stolen song in those jars? The brewmaster cocked his hooded head. Song? Wesley can carry a tune, but... Arashi gave a nearly imperceptible gesture. An imposing agent stepped forward and shook something out of a sack. A mass of limbs, fur, and bloated bellies. The mass sprawled on the ground, in the form of one by a gremlin with a big brimmed hat and one fat tanuki, the same who dropped off their tributes earlier. Both lay motionless. Wesley gasped in spite of himself. The brewmaster frowned, then took a sip. So the song thieves had been followed. Enough. The only thing that you'll be trading today is your life. She was interrupted by a long burp at her feet. The Bayou Gremlin and the Tanuki both sat up in a haze. Not dead, after all, but merely incredibly drunk. The two temporarily took pause to look around. The Tanuki woozily raised his hand as if to object that this was not the tree where he had passed out, but then looked up, shrugged, and figured it might as well have been. The Gremlin, wide-eyed and blinking, nodded to himself, thinking that last shot of moonshine must have been a doozy and they'd have to get his hands on some more as soon as he got back. They both met gazes, each with the same ridiculous grin, and then pointed at one another as if to say, this guy knows how to party. As everyone looked on, completely dumbfounded, the raccoon spirit rolled over and grunted, resulting in the off-key twang of musical instruments. Beneath his soggy bottom were a shamisen and a two-string banjo, both covered in matted fur and mud. He stared owlishly at the shamisen for a moment, for plucking a string and playing a high note. Gremlin grinned, snatched up his banjo, and looked it over like a jewel crafter eyeing an uncut diamond before helping the tanuki to its feet. Both of them stumbled off arm in arm, giggling to a nearby tree. Did that? Wesley stammered out. Yep. Looks like they got into the good stuff, Cooper said jealously. Kind of ruined the moment, Wesley replied, still staring in disbelief as the Gremlin and Tanuki struggled with their instruments. Are you kidding me, Arashi said, well beyond annoyed. With her escalation of threats interrupted, she was left with a loss for words, having the moment ripped away from her by two drunken fools. In order to take out her anger and recapture the moment, she turned to the brewmaster and scowled. Disgusting freaks, all of you. I will enjoy ridding you from this world. The brewmaster suppressed a quiet chuckle as he watched the pair. After a moment's deliberation, set all but one of his bottles down. He screwed the top off and took a long drink. They all waited. And waited. When he was finally done, he stared blankly at Arashi. Her pointed expression clearly meant, Are you done yet? His lower face exposed, the brewmaster smiled at her, swished the moonshine inside his jar, and raised it for another gulp. The brewmaster drank slowly, reflecting. 
Maybe the Ten Thunders who sent these agents, who wanted him dead, would have accepted a larger tribute of some kind. The brewmaster's wagon full of moonshine, the lost agents waiting scrip, a few servants on loan, all of it together. Of course, they probably meant to take it all by force. This was a grave miscalculation. Maybe no gremlin was entirely Malifaux. So steep were they in the human traditions they'd adopted. But it was the Malifaux side of them, the pot spawned in this world, that made them purer lords over it than any of the humans. It was the gremlins who suffered the humans, not the other way around. The Three Kingdoms' influence on the Tongs, on the Brewmaster, on his Tri-Chi, was the humans' tribute to them, one the Brewmaster had allowed and accepted, but even perfected. And the time had come to use it against them. Arash's grimace mirrored the Brewmaster's bitter brew face. They had reached a silent understanding, the acceptance there would be no compromise between them, no peace only consequences. Apprentice Wesley reached into the wagon for two cloudy bottles of his own special label, Stoutenkraut. He did this quietly, but the clearing was quieter, and so the clinking of grass was amplified in everyone's ears. Arash's personal lackeys, with heads and faces covered, slid quietly into different stances, their hands tied around their weapons, Lotus eaters slipped purple blossoms into their mouths. The soft soil squelched under the weight of the whiskey golem. Though the only one not truly alive, it was also the least still. Its tiny barrel legs strained under the weight of its much larger upper body, and it swayed rhythmically, gorilla arms hanging, and the high-proof liquid sloshing ominously inside it. Fine, death it is then, Arashi said cutting through the quiet. Sure about that? The brewmaster asked as he pointed his thumb toward the Tanukian gremlin, resting against the tree trunk. Could follow their lead and have ourselves a drink. That's not going to happen. Arashi stared resolutely at the brewmaster, even as she secured that menacing metal inhaler over the lower half of her face. The brewmaster stared back through the shadows of his hood and scarf still bent under the hunch of his back, no less tense and no more active than ever. A loom screeched in the distance. Past the trees, swamp water splashed. A lone silure had stalked the edge of the encounter, awaiting an inevitable meal. A large fly drifted between the two crews, humming lazily. Roots dug, branches stretched. Oh, the heck with this, grumbled Cooper Jones, and opened up with her blowtorch. Play us a song, boys. Shoulder to the holder, dingleberries. The commotion that followed snapped the Tanuki and the Biogremlin in a brief sobriety, both agreeing with Cooper and seeing an opportunity to set the mood for the battle unfolding before them. Their frantic little fingers ran over the strings like fists in a barroom brawl. The spout of flames roared across the clearing forcing the ten thunders to shrink back and scatter. The five spraying just over the whiskey golem's head triggered a response in its limited but mystical sentience. It wasn't built to think for itself. 
but the heat loomed large in his glass eyes, reflected off them with horrible foreboding, and in that moment it achieved something akin to self-awareness. And along with that came the realization that it was a 15-foot-tall construct made almost entirely of wood. Wood soaked in and filled with a highly flammable liquid, with a gremlin on top. It was brandishing a blowtorch. It panicked. Barrow biceps bulged and Ho's fingers grasped desperately at the cackling gremlin on its back. Cooper didn't realize what was happening until it was too late and found herself soaring through the air, yodeling at the top of her lungs and spraying fire in all directions. Strangely, this proved to be a more effective combat tactic than she or the golem could have predicted, and the whirling jets of flame scattered the Ten Thunders agents in all directions. Her flight was short-lived, however, and the ground was fast approaching. Cooper vanished inside her barrel like a turtle just before hitting the ground, grunted with the impact, rolled several yards, then popped back out near the bayou gremlin and Tanuki strumming their instruments with hair crazier than ever. Big up the pace, boys. This ain't no slow dancing two-step, Cooper nearly sang. Eager for a brawl, she spotted the giant wooden maul one of the agents carried toward her, mistook it for a barrel of moonshine, because that's exactly the sort of weapon a gremlin could approve of, and set it aflame. Nothing happened. Laughing behind his mask, the agent raised and dropped the flaming hammer with the force of one mighty step, like a railroad worker driving a spike. Or a rat, she muttered. For a moment, Arashi and the brewmaster had a line of vision to each other, a path without flames or rivals. They locked eyes, but then the Katanaka boss gestured with her polearm. Two agents came between them like a curtain, charging with their heads low and their weapons at the ready. Their rapid steps matched the hollow twangs of the Tanuki shamisen. After finishing the jar of shine, the brewmaster let out a natural breath, expelling all tension. He was so lucid it seemed his dark robe was empty, flapping beside his bamboo staff like nothing more than a banner. Both agents lunged, their perfectly timed attacks passing by the fluid brewmaster without finding flesh. With an unexpected push, the brewmaster leaned against his staff and used the speed of their own movements, launching them both straight toward Wesley. By this time, the brewmaster's apprentice was as equally limber. The stout and crowd coursing through his veins was going to do the fighting for him. He took advantage of their upset balance and simply turned a lazy circle, making it look an awful lot like they crashed into his heavy hamper by accident. They came up covered in shards of broken glass, spitting moonshine out from under their masks. Shrugging as if to say, don't mind if I do, Wesley bent backward and poured the two flasks he was carrying in twin streams down his throat. Still being held up by the tree, the Tanuki let his last chords echo, distracted by one of Wesley's half-empty bottles when it rolled nearby. The raccoon spirit squirmed away from his spot, grabbed the bottle, took a swig for himself, then passed it to his impromptu bandmate and new best friend, who proceeded to down the rest. Arash's mocking laughter was muffled by her mask, suggesting the brewmaster was a fool to even make a move. She shrugged the sashimonal flags off her back, freeing her shoulders to twirl her nagamaki. The wide blade of the polearm whistled through the air as it gained speed. Soon it whirled around her in a deadly blur. She moved faster and with more control than should be possible. 
owing to the strength-enhancing vapors pumping through her mask. That was good. An enemy's strength was like the brewmaster's store of ingredients. So much potential. Fuel for the fire, indeed. The rashy came at him. Her lunges and swipes found only air. They became fewer as he turned and redirected them, throwing off Rashi's center and causing her to stumble. She wasn't used to fighting an opponent of his small size and failed to compensate. Each slash either missed by an inch or passed harmlessly through his clothes without connecting. The brewmaster was like a reed in the wind. He reeled this way, bent that way. He took a step to the left, but somehow his body moved right nonetheless. His staff locked with hers, and she tried to yank him off his feet, but he stepped into the pull as she backpedaled. His palm in her gut was the final push she needed, and she fell, then spun in midair, putting her feet back beneath her. The brewmaster narrowly ducked the propeller arc of her blade. A deafening crash jolted Cooper Jones out of her stunned state. She shot upright, goggles askew, eyes wide and felt her dress in a panic. All that was left of her barrel was one metal hoop. The rest had been smashed into splinters by that big old small. She was uninjured, although she probably looked plenty dead lying there among the broken spars. Slowly, she turned toward the hammer-wielding agent, marking him for kindling, but he had already moved on. That's when she noticed lotus eaters picking on her whiskey gold. Although more agile than they'd first expected, it was still slow and ponderous. Though bigger, they outnumbered it. They danced around it, bending around its swipes and punches, encountering with sharp jabs to its joints. Bolts popped free, planks splintered, and pungent whiskey sloshed out. Its movements were already slower and more erratic. Rivets missing, hinges dented, hoops hanging, splinters staves shower on the ground. It could have been Cooper's imagination, but the construct seemed to be sweating beads of whiskey, groaning in frustration, losing its patience and making more mistakes as a result. She straightened her goggles, then snatched up her torch and ran back into the fray. The plucking of the banjo bounced to her rhythm as she ran to the golem's rescue. One of the hampered agents had found his feet again, and came with Wesley. Twin cameras and the long hair of his top braid twirling like a tornado. Wesley backed up, bobbing back and forth, surprised, tipsy, though somehow never lost his balance. The other agent lunged from behind, keeping low with his swords. Wesley's dopey face didn't register concern or any sort of concentration. Yet just as it seemed he might trip or get caught in the agent's sharp blades, an unwise swig from his flask became a lucky block, a staggering misstep a fortuitous trip. They lunged again from either side, and both were rewarded with the satisfaction of blades striking flesh, at least until they realized it was each other's. Then the swordsman's mouth made an O-shape. His eyes drifted upward in time to watch the straw hat fall off either side of his head, split in two by the sickle embedded in his skull. The commas owner barely had time to react to the shock of killing his own man. Wesley pounded the human in rapid succession until his bottles broke, embedded in the eyes of the only mask. The man screamed and fell. Wesley stared at the spectacle both in amazement and in pity, 
focus too much on their demises than his surroundings. An arrow sped from out of the surrounding trees, smacking into his shoulder. Wesley looked at it for a long second. Ah, he said, then fell limply to the ground. The music stopped altogether as both the Bayou Gremlin and the Tanuki noticed the Ten Thunders archers hiding in the trees. More arrows went thunk, thunk, thunk into the whiskey golem, one of them between Cooper Jones's fingers. She was in the middle of a few hasty repairs, desperately clinging to its arm while it swung in circles at the lotus eaters. One rolled on the ground, half his body burning. Cooper glared at the tree line and growled, Louds of swine, pincushioning my baby when I'm trying to fix it. The golem was puzzled, too. It stopped fighting and studied the arrows protruding from it. At first, it moved gingerly, reaching its finger toward the fletching. But three more arrows appeared for each it touched, until there were too many to choose from. Roaring angrily, it grabbed a fistful and yanked, accidentally smashing its valve knuckles into a lotus eater's face in the same motion. Not like that, Cooper Jones cried, but it was too late. Each arrow hole unstoppered an arching fountain of whiskey. Facing both Arashi and her maw-wielding agent, the brewmaster kept a triangle between them to avoid being flanked. The Katnak boss shouted orders to circumvent this tactic, but the Tri-Chi gremlin totted seemingly at random, keeping them off balance and out of position. He disarmed the agent's burnt maul, with a man's own momentum and a careful pinch of his wrist. Laughing off the brewmaster's return jabs, the big man pulled a long-studded club off his back. Without hesitation or ceremony, he swung, and it was the immediacy of the action that caught the brewmaster off guard. The club met with the gremlin master's staff, narrowly missing his head. The spikes ran across the bamboo, shaving off the lair before the club smacked against the ground. To counter the attack, the brewmaster flung the bottom edge of the staff up into the agent's chin. The agent spat out a tooth, licked his bloodied lip, and smiled viciously. Arashi used the distraction as a window of opportunity. As the brewmaster turned to counterattack, she brought down her nagamaki diagonally with enough force to end it all with one swing. Whether readjusting himself from the last attack or regaining his balance, the brewmaster tilted backward, let loose the grip of his staff, and caught her blade with a hollow end. The tip of his staff split against the metal, but in the fluid motion, he managed to deflect another death blow. Arashi came in with another swing, and the brewmaster used her energy against her, connecting with the wooden base to his geeter against her elbow as she attacked. The agent's club crashed down again, Chattering the bottle strung to the gremlin's hip. But the brewmaster caught a ceramic shard before it fell to the ground and flicked it into the agent's shoulder. The three continued to trade blows and deflections. For every three or four swings of Arashi's blade, one would find purchase. Either slicing into the brewmaster's robe or carving away at his staff or sandals. He retaliated in kind, continuing to wear them both down with dodges and swerves but fending off both attackers was quickly wearing him down as well. Arash's patience had clearly boiled dry. Her body was slick with sweat from the gas and swinging her heavy nagamaki. Her club-swinging agent was breathing heavily, exhausted, 
their finesse was gone. Both were making huge efforts to alternately slice or crush the elusive master. The brewmaster could see the silhouettes of the Ten Thunders archers crouching in the low canopy at the far side of the clearing, launching salvos into the whiskey gold. It was creaking and staggering from the onslaught and couldn't take much more. Distracted, the brewmaster attempted to fling up his staff to redirect the blows, but they were too much at once. The three weapons met. In a risky gambit, the brewmaster let loose his grip from the staff, allowing the energy of their attacks to bring it down into the mud. On the way down, the agent-studded club slammed into the gremlin's shoulder. Ignoring the pain, he used the blow's power to spin, grab Arashi, and roll onto her back. He kicked the agent out of the way, bit the cork out of the last bottle attached to his hip, and jammed it upside down into the boss's breathing tank. He somersaulted off Arashi's back as she stumbled, already tasting his brew and growing confusion. He ignored her for the moment, gripping his wounded shoulder and casting a silent command into the trees. Moonshine Obi fell on the arches. For a moment, the gremlin's banjo sped faster and louder than the Tanuki shamisen, but they soon clicked back in a melodic unison. Their strums became slower and more deliberate. They must have been sobering up. The archers were quick to respond. A blue mass shine obi, limbs and ears splayed like a star, took an arrow through the chest. The archers leaped out of the way, moving from branch to branch, letting arrows fly in midair. The Shinobi followed, moving quicker and lighter amongst the trees, balancing them with drunken swaying motions, their clawed fingers still gripping cups that weren't there. The archers released three arrows at once. When they connected with a nearby trunk, the Shinobi used them as hands and footholds. The gremlins landed on the archers' helmets. The archers launched them back off. Both the banjo and the shamisen twanged with a heavy, rhythmic beat. Then... The trees caught fire. Gilbert Jones hooted happily, shooting flames into the streams of whiskey escaping her golem. The resultant fountain of burning liquor set everything ablaze, including two Ten Thunders archers and a moonshine obi who was combating them seconds prior. Each of them immediately stopped their attacks in an attempt to put out the flames. Black and acrid smoke rolled through the clearing causing those closest to flee while all covered their faces, minimizing the stinging and burning. Even Cooper gave her blowtorch a rest, coughing and fanning her face. Her golem, however, became a big, stumbling target. Limping, one arm hanging, its wide glass eyes looked this way and that, finding no escape from the fire and smoke. Behind it, a lotus eater materialized suddenly, eyes forward like a predator. Hands drawn back in a claws. He struck like chain lightning, his knuckles and palms exploding the golem's shoulders, hips, and knees. It spun uselessly, a pitiful last-ditch effort, and a final strike to its midsection doubled it over. Cooper Jones went tumbling into the smoke. In the commotion, the lotus eater staved in the whiskey golem's head. It stood quivering for a moment then fell forward with the snapping of wood, rope, and metal, pouring what little whiskey lifeblood it had left onto the ground.
Lotus Gator rested his hands on his hips, taking a moment to savor the victory. In between gasping breaths, he reached into his pocket, pulled out a red lotus flower, placed it between his lips, and began to chew. Briefly forgetting where he was, lost in the petals' flavor and the rushing adrenaline they caused, he closed his eyes and slipped into a temporary trance-like state as he recovered. In the second his guard was down, the sharp blade of his leader's nagamaki punched straight through his back and out of his chest. He stared down at the blood, the wound a red blossom, then fell forward to the ground. Before he could even begin to beg or question, he was already dead. A rasher stood behind him, her expression crazed and manic. Her head hung, the bun in her hair had come loose, and her red irritated eyes squinted in pain from the smoke. The attack was intended for the brewmaster, but he had misdirected it to his own ends. She placed her foot onto the fallen agent's shoulder, then pulled free her weapon from his flesh. Distraught and disoriented, the woman clawed at the mask over her mouth. It came loose with a hiss. She spat blood onto the ground, her chin covered in viscous green and red. A cloud of acrid liquor poured down her chest. Unable to think or see clearly, she looked around at her dead men and the surrounding flames. Breathing rapidly, face contorted in rage, she screamed and lunged at the brewmaster. An archer came to his boss's aid, sending an arrow through the air. The brewmaster noticed just in time and spun backward, the arrow grazing his face as it passed on, only to strike Arashi instead. As she stared down at the arrow quivering in her chest, her hand hovered around it in disbelief. She fell backward with a crash of steel and shattering tanks. Dead. The archer dropped his bow. Slowly, he undid his helmet and stared, jaw hanging in shock at his own grave mistake. In unison, the Tanukian gremlin bellowed out three more notes. Dun, 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 then fell over in contagious laughter. The brewmaster surveyed the quiet battlefield. Nearby, the pig hitched the wagon, dug her snout in the dirt, oblivious to its surroundings. The clearing was a mess of blood, mud, and blackened grass. The edges still smoked from the burning trees. The whiskey golem was a heap of scrap. One of the smaller barrels that still contained moonshine caught sparks and exploded suddenly, causing the Trichy leader to flinch under the flying rivets. A single archer, the last, stood watching the brewmaster, as if through the large eye carved in his helmet. They regarded each other quietly, with no more arrows in his quiver. The man dropped his bow and went to the aid of a comrade. The two hobbled off, one nursing his nose. Nearby, a surviving lotus eater, the one Cooper had burned, woke with pain gasps. Slipping a red blossom into his mouth, he staggered after the others. The brewmaster watched them go, thinking about those blossoms and stoking an idea. 
He glanced up at the moonshine over still perched high in the trees and signaled, No survivors. As they began to give chase, he called out after them, Bring me those flowers they've been chewing on, too. They weren't the only ones to recover. Hearing Wesley call to him, the brewmaster went to his assistant's side and treated the arrow wound in his collar with the hot nozzle of Cooper's blowtorch and plenty of moonshine to numb the pain. Cooper Jones herself eventually came picking through the field, and in her golem's wreckage found a satisfactory barrel to wear. Of course, it had to be properly consecrated. She offered it to the brewmaster like a sacrifice. I'd be pleased if you'd hallow this here golem's garment, your eminence. He was tired and not exactly in the mood for an impromptu ceremony, but such was his burden. Taking the barrel from Cooper, he sprinkled it with a better brew than it once contained. Cooper's face wrinkled like she was expecting more, so he muttered a few inebriated phrases, not that they would make a difference. Bottoms up and bless your heart. He opened one eye to find Cooper still quizzical, so he asked, Got something to add? Instead of backing off, she nodded, grabbed her barrel back from him, and punched through both ends. Peering through it, she declared, See? Hallowed. The brewmaster coughed one chuckle in spite of himself. It was dark when they returned to the competition. No one came to meet them, as the Grandland spectators had all passed out. They found Popcorn Turner where they'd left him, though now an old lantern full of glow bugs kept him company, along with a shiny new barrel of his finished brew. He opened the spigot into a mug, not his first refill by the bleary expression on his face, and raised it in a toast. What I tell you, your eminence, covered and then some. Good on you, Coop, that a girl. Cooper Jones blushed. Go on, you. Shame about your shine, though, Popcorn said, nodding gravely at the brewmaster's side of the stage. It was as they'd left it, but untended the brew would boil too hot. What once smelled smoky, creamy, and rich, now just smelled burned. Most of the ingredients had congealed and crusted. What little was collected in glass jars burned low and colorless. Cooper punched Wesley in the arm. Real shame, Weasel. Winston in pain as he poked at his wounded shoulder, the apprentice frowned with sympathy for his master, who merely sighed. Congratulations, Popcorn, the brewmaster said, bowing his head graciously. Popcorn Turner grinned. Oh, heck, old brewy. Wasn't no fair competition with you not even being there for half of it. What sort of victory you call that? How about a rematch? The brewmaster produced several colorful blossoms from inside of his sleeve and passed them back and forth over his face, inhaling their potential. The dead lotus eaters had made no objections when he claimed their tribute. He smiled. More fuel to the fire.
That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.